Well, if you would, turn with me to Paul's letter to the Philippian church. We are continuing our time in Philippians chapter 1. So if you would, meet me there in verse 3 of chapter 1 in Philippians. Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. And as we're getting there, obviously Philippians is a letter. It's a letter written by the Apostle Paul. And if we're being honest, maybe we think of letters as historical, maybe a mode of communication of eras gone by. Yeah, let's go with that. It's a mode of communication of eras gone by. But that's not, in fact, true. Letters are just as important now as they were then. All the more so, considering that the Apostle Paul, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, guided by the Holy Spirit, to write this inerrant letter to the church there in Philippi. Hopefully you think that letters are important. I certainly do. If you were to look in the lowest drawer in my filing cabinet, you will find a humongous box of letters from friends, family members, church members, friends in ministry, from holidays, birthdays, important occasions, all of those things. Full. I hardly throw away anything. When it means somebody took the time to write by hand a letter to me. I also have letters on my wall there in my study. What I would call the important ones. The ones from family that are no longer around. Those who are no longer living. I can look at those letters, rekindle the memories, look at the writing See the pin strokes and think of that person who wrote me that letter. They connect my emotions to those who wrote them to me. And that, in one sense, is what the Apostle Paul is seeking to do in the passage that we'll look at today. He's trying to connect the emotions of him to them and them to him. He's trying to remind the Philippians of what they've been through and what they mean to him. As Paul writes his letter to the Philippian church, it's pinned by a beloved partner in the gospel to a beloved people. We can see all throughout this letter written to the Philippians, he's not angry with them. He's not mad at them. He's not begrudging them. Even in the midst of his imprisonment, when he thinks about the Philippians, he thinks of them with joy and admiration. And one of the differences between Philippians and the letters that I have kept in my drawer or on my wall is that this letter is not just pinned to one specific person or even to one specific church. It is to be read and shared with all the saints in Philippi. Remember last week, this letter is meant for all the saints, all the believers there in this city. So therefore, Paul writes with such affection of them, which will be beneficial when it's read in a corporate setting. Let's just think about what this might look like today. Somebody writes to us, maybe one of the pastors or preachers who has filled the pulpit in weeks past. 
They write with such affection of their time here. The word has sown fruit and and born fruit. And for me to read that aloud would just put wind in the sails of probably me and to you all as well. That's what Paul is seeking to do in this section of verses 3 through 11. And it all drives to the point of Paul's desire for the Philippians to be pure and blameless on the day of Christ. That they would be working, living, talking, thinking. Everything about them would be to the glory and praise of God. So, I just gave away the hook of a sermon. That's what Paul is trying to do in verses 3 through 11. Trying to stir up in them the affections to be reminded of who they are in Christ and that they would strive to be pure and blameless on the day of Christ to the glory and praise of God. So with that, let's stand in honor of the reading of God's word. We're in Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Paul writes, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you, because I have you in my heart, and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. May the Lord receive honor in the reading of his word. You may be seated. So this morning, as I preach this sermon, as I preach this text from Paul, it is for you, First Baptist Church Eastwood, that you would be encouraged in the work that God is doing in you. That you would be encouraged in the work that God is doing in you and that you would be reminded that that work's not done yet. You know, we may look at, even use the roof as an example. It looks great, but it's not finished yet. It looks great, and it's not finished yet. We may not be able to say that about ourselves. Well, it looks looks okay, but I'm not finished yet. And the Lord is not finished with you. And praise be to God, the Lord's not finished with me either. So that you would be encouraged about what Christ is doing in you, and that you would be reminded that that work is not finished yet. A word of reminder, Paul planted this Philippian church. Go back to Acts chapter 16. They're imprisoned, Paul and Silas. And they begin at the 12th hour to begin singing hymns and praying to the, (laughs) I don't know if you'd say detriment, but to the guards' amazement, this 
earthquake happens, and instead of them running out, they stay there. The guard professes faith in Christ, he and his household. Then as they continue walking, uh, Lydia is converted. The girl who is demon-possessed is converted. You see this fledgling church starting to come to fruition. And upon his departure, Paul writes to the churches of Macedonia expressing a need. Paul was a visionary. Paul was a church planter going from town to town in region to region. And similarly, he does so in Philippi. He goes on to another church, but he writes affectionately to the Philippian church of a need of a need that another local church in Jerusalem has as it pertains to finances. You can find this in verses 15 and 16 of Philippians chapter 4. Paul also talks about it in 2 Corinthians 8, uh, chapter, chapter 8, verse 1 through 5, that it's Philippi and only Philippi that gives to the contribution of the Jerusalem church. And in 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 5, here's how Paul describes it. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. During a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Wait a second. This Philippian church is not the flashy one. It's not the one with the big bank account. And yet, Paul describes them as a church filled with joy that in their, not lack, not in their subpar bank account, he says in their poverty, they gave. Just a point of application, just on that specific thing. We see it in the parables of the widow's mites, that she gave in abundance of what she was able, and it accomplishes much. The Philippian church contributes out of their poverty and accomplishes much. We don't need to send millions of dollars, though praise be to God if we're able to one day, to foreign missions, to local missions, to church planting, and to church revitalization. But let's be faithful with what we do have. May we be able to say, enjoy. (laughs) We gave out of our poverty. (laughs) But we gave. And we gave joyfully. So Paul, reflecting on this dear church in Philippi, begins to to share with them themes that will come up throughout the rest of his letter. Themes that we'll see in the weeks to come. Now remember, this is a letter, so we need to approach it as such. We can break this passage down into two parts. Verses 3 through 8, where Paul expresses his thankfulness to God for them. And then verses 9 through 11, Paul's prayer to God for them. Paul expresses his thankfulness to God for them. And then his prayer to God for them. First, Paul expresses his thankfulness to God for them. I'm not done with the context yet. I've got more to say. 
This letter stands out from other letters of the first century. Historians would say that letters and epistles specifically, epistles that are seeking to be Christ-centered for Christian churches in the first century, are so stark different from other letters. That there is a formula of other letters. This is who I am. This is what I'm saying. I wish you well, is essentially how they would go. We've probably received some letters like that. But we see in Paul's epistles specifically and here in Philippians notably that his is different because of the gospel. Because of what Jesus has done both in Paul's life in converting him on his way to Damascus and in causing these Gentile folks, these Gentile unbelievers, these Gentiles that in Ephesians chapter 2 were apart from God, were alienated, were dead in their trespasses and sins. It's these Gentiles in Philippi who have been radically transformed by the gospel. So Paul can speak to them as one who has been changed and speaking to them as those who have been changed as well. And so because of that fact, he writes and he just spews forth thanksgiving. Thanksgiving to God, not just being thankful for what they've done, but being thankful for who they are in Christ. That Paul could say that at every remembrance of you all, I give thanks with joy. How many people can we say that about? That every time we think about that person, man, I'm just elated. I'm joyful. I'm thankful, not just for them, but what the Lord is doing in them. And there is a collective nature. It's not just individual. It's all of you. Look at verse 4. Always praying with joy for all of you. This term in the Greek would be rendered in Oklahoma as y'all. Even parts of Kentucky too, I think. It's not just one of you. Two of you, hey, there's, there's this good portion of the Philippian church. There's this good portion that I remember with joy, always praying, and with every remembrance of you giving thanks. No, it's y'all, all of you. All of you. Because you've been transformed by the gospel. Because, verse 5, your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. The gospel seed has done its work. Faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of Christ. That their partnership of the gospel from the very first day through now, they've been steadfast. Even in Paul's departure, they have remained steadfast on the word, seeking to advance the gospel in joy. And it's this eternal perspective that Paul now drives the Philippians to be reminded of. That they're not a finished work. Verse 6, I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day 
of Christ. Let's just pause for a moment here. This good work that Paul mentions is the work of salvation. The salvation is working itself out till the day of Christ. This salvation that has once and and finally been imparted to us by God through his spirit. We don't save ourselves. But the same one who started this good work. Look at how that is worded. That he who started a good work. Not you. You you clung to the gospel. You changed. You did all of these things. No, God did this. And the same God who started this salvation work in you will carry it out to completion. Isn't that good news? That we're not responsible, in one sense, to make this happen. I'm not responsible to save anybody. I can't do it. I can't even save myself. But the God who created life in and of itself also creates new life in Christ by his spirit. That salvation is a work done by God. It is a gift of God, not of ourselves, so that we wouldn't boast. That the same God who started this work will carry it on to completion until when? Until the day of Christ Jesus. Until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul keeps this eternal outlook and drives home to the Philippian church. You can trust this. You can trust this. Then he grounds verses 3 through 6 with, Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about you all because I have you in my heart. And you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness. How deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. As I read these two verses, I thought, what is he talking about? The affection of Christ Jesus. He has the same affections as Christ Jesus for these people. What is he getting at? Similarly to verse 6, where the work of salvation is given, it's imparted by God and carried to completion by God. So too, the affections that Paul has for these believers is only through the ongoing power of Jesus Christ. Let me break that down a little bit. We know that there are people, perhaps even in this room, who get on our nerves at times. And it might take every ounce of what we have to endure. And we cannot do that in our own flesh. We know what our flesh can do. We know what our flesh can say. We know what our flesh can think about those But, Paul says, the way in which this happens, it's the affections of Christ. He gives these affections, and therefore he can impart them to the Philippians. 
Remember, he's been so transformed by the gospel. He planted this church. He saw the folks who were sitting. I don't know if they would have had pews at this time, but he saw the folks sitting there and knew what they were before they were transformed by Christ. So the affections by which he has are rooted in, grounded in, and empowered by Jesus. All that to say, we need Jesus to love one another. We need Jesus to love one another. We may be able to be surface level friends. We may be able to carry on a good conversation, talking about the weather, talking about all of these different things, talking about Kentucky football, talking about all of these different things. And we can do that outside of any of the Spirit's need. But to be able to say, I give thanks for every remembrance of you, praying with joy for all of you in every prayer. To be able to do that, it's going to take the affection of Christ Jesus. It's going to take the putting off of our flesh to be able to say, they're transformed by the gospel. And it's not them who needs to change, it's me. So let's pursue partnerships like that. Let's pursue relationships with other church members like that. Let's pray for one another like Paul prays for the Philippian church that we might even begin our prayers. God, I know what we read this morning during service and I'm just not there yet. I'm not giving thanks. I'm not joyful for this situation, but help me to be. Give me the affections of Christ for so-and-so. Help me to be thankful for them like you are thankful for them. Help me to be joyful for them like you are joyful for them. That takes the work of Christ completely. Let's strive for that. Let's strive for that. So not only does Paul begin to tell about how he's thankful to God for the Philippians, he also ends with this prayer to God for them in verses 9 through 11. Verses 9 through 11. And I want to just take a, it's not really taking a poll if it's rhetorical, but I want you to think about how we pray. Let's read verses 9 through 11. And I pray this. I pray this, Philippian church, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Rhetorical question, how many of us pray like that? And if your answer is the same as mine, with a resounding no. Another rhetorical question, why not? 
Maybe this section in Philippians chapter 1 will be a reminder for us of how we ought to pray. Maybe we're coming into this text saying, Father, teach us how to pray. Just as the disciples go to Jesus, Master, teach us how to pray. Because we're not praying as we ought. He prays these things for them. That their love will keep on growing in knowledge. And every kind of discernment. Later in Paul's letter to the Philippians, he says, May you think about whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is pure. Think on these things. Paul is saying, May your love grow in knowledge and every kind of discernment. This is not a wishy-washy, well, we just love everybody. This is a love grounded in knowledge. It is sure. It is steadfast. It is grounded on his word. So that we may approve the things that are superior. What does that infer? That there are inferior things. We know this just by our Christian experience, that there are things that really don't matter. I love to just spend minute after minute after minute watching stupid YouTube videos. Paul's prayer for me is, Sean, may you not do those things. May your love grow in knowledge and discernment to know that that's stupid. That is inferior. That is a waste of time because Paul will come on in chapter 3 saying that the days are evil. May your conduct be like stars in a bright night in a culture that is so despicable and wicked. He says that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you will approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. There seems to be a very clear connection that when our love and knowledge is growing of the things that are superior, we will realize the superior thing, the superior way is following God's commands. Faith in Jesus Christ. Remembering the gospel that saved and walking in it so that we might be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let me say, watching YouTube videos brings God zero glory. I'm not going to go on a list of other things that don't bring God glory. I think you know exactly what those are. But Paul's prayer for you, my prayer for you, Derek's prayer for you, Derek's prayer for himself, my prayer for myself is that I would grow in love of knowledge and discernment to see what is superior and to focus my attentions and my affections there. There are a lot of good things to advocate for. But when you put them on the scale of, is this as superior as the gospel? You say, no, it's not. 
So I want to reallocate my time to gospel things, to superior things. For us to advance the gospel with joy is going to take for us to realize that the gospel is the superior thing. There is nothing else in close competition. It is the power of God unto salvation. And there are many lost people. The gospel is the superior thing. These prayers that they would be fruitful. And the fruit that they would bear would be righteousness through Christ. To the glory and praise of God. If I were to summarize how this passage reads, in one sense, there is such strong affection for the Philippian church that Paul would never say, you guys are useless, but it's Christ in you that does these things. I don't think he would say that. But all of the verbs, all of the actions are God's working in the Philippians. That even the fruit of righteousness comes through Jesus. Our ability to love one another with the affection of Jesus comes from Jesus. Our gift, our salvation, this good work is started by God and is carried out to completion by God. It is God who is doing these things in us. By the gospel of his beloved son who came, redeemed us by taking our sins on the cross. That gospel by which made all those who believe in Philippi saints who receive grace and peace. That same gospel is that which made us saints, provided grace and peace through Christ. Two applications. Understand that you are an incomplete work. Throughout this passage, Paul has an eternal outlook pointing to on the day of Christ Jesus. That is our finish line, folks. It is not next, next year. Next year, I'll, 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 I'll do these things. Or for the next 300 days, I'm going to try my best to do these things. No, the finish line is on the day of Christ Jesus. As one author says, that we ought to trust the God-centered security of our salvation. That for the Christian, assurance rests not in the Christianness of our Christianity, but in the Godness of God. If the power to save does not come from us, then the paralyzing pressure to save ourselves need not be on us. Assurance of our salvation rests not in how strong our grip is on our Father's hand, but in how strong His grip is on us. You are an incomplete work. I am an incomplete work. But I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion 
until the day of Christ Jesus. Second application. Advancing the gospel in the church will take you all. The amount of times where Paul refers to you all in this plural, y'all, there's at least four. By his not singling out the leaders or members, one group or another group, one individual versus another individual, Paul is showing that the church advances the gospel in joy as a collective. As a community, advancing the gospel in the church will take you all. It will take all of us. And it is the call to all of us. A healthy church is where all members participate in gospel ministry. Where all members are inviting others to see what God is doing here. Where all people are wanting to talk to people about Jesus. For he has saved the wretch and made him at peace with God through his son, Jesus. It's going to take us all. And for the Philippian church, it was both in their financial support as well as their continued spread of the gospel. Amidst persecution, amidst uh, amidst, uh, imprisonments. They all had a work to do. They all had a job to do. We too, as a church, must advance the gospel as a whole. Here's the way that our church covenant reads. We, remember this is written to the church as a whole. We, we all, all. We all seek to prove the reality of our conversion, that we've been transformed by the gospel, by living godly, fruitful lives, and will be stewards of our resources with all people of all nations. This is almost verbatim to what the Apostle Paul tells the church in Philippi, that you would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Church, if we are going to be a church that seeks to proclaim Jesus, seeks to disciple those in our midst and those in our community for the glory of God, we must be bearing fruit. We must be bearing fruit, and we are incomplete, but we strive all the more for this, to advance the gospel in joy. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your word. Father, may we be reminded that the work that you have done in us since we are still here, it's not finished. Father, help us to realize that you are the one holding us, and that you will carry this out to completion. Help us to walk purely. Help us to walk blamelessly. Help us to reach our community. Father, help us to each and every day be transformed by the gospel that saved us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.